following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. God has been revealing Himself to humanity since the beginning of time. God has been putting out an offer to people since the beginning of time. And we look at it through Israel. We see it through Jesus clearly where there's an offer of love that's just extended to everybody. And even through folks like you and I today, God is still presenting an offer. And today what we're going to talk about is communicating the offer of God. There is an offer of the living God. It's on the table for everyone on the planet. And God tells us to go ye therefore. And we're the ones that present the offer of God. So God loves people. He is reaching out to people. There is an offer of God on the table for the entire universe. God's not partial. He doesn't show favoritism. doesn't matter where people are at. There's an offer of love on the table, and God is using us to communicate that. Well, there's this cool snapshot today of the Apostle Paul, who actually has been spending some time in jail, unfortunately. That's where we're at in the text here in, in Acts chapter 25. And he is about to present and communicate God's offer. He's going to communicate the offer of God. He's going to do it in such a profound way. If you're a note taker, you might want to write some things down because he does it better than anybody. And the interesting thing about the offer of God, here's the thing about it. Some people hear the offer of God and they accept it. Some people hear the offer of God and they reject it many times without even understanding the details of the offer. You know, some people, you mentioned God, some people are just... They're not hearing you and they're just tuned out. And we're going to talk about why people do that in a minute. But a lot of times they don't even know the details of the offer. And they're just going, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear that. So some accept it, some reject it without understanding it. And others, they're actually open. They're willing to listen. They're what you would refer to as seekers. They're open. They're not opposed to God. And in, in the New Testament, they were called God-fearers, people who were Gentiles and starting to be included, and they were, they were open. They, were, they had an understanding of God and who he was, and they didn't have it all down, but they were open to hearing the offer of God and what was being communicated. Today, we're going to focus on a guy named King Agrippa. Agrippa is an interesting individual because Agrippa, when we look at the New Testament, he's one of these guys who seems like he's one of these open seekers. He's not rejecting He's not saying yes. He's kind of in the middle and he's listening and he's, he, he knows about some stuff. And it's an interesting snapshot on how you and I communicate the uh, offer of God. And to set this up so we get an understanding here, Paul is in the middle of a four-part trial, if you will. It might be called, if it was a TV show, it might be Law and Order Israel. This is where he's at right now. He just went before the, the Jewish leaders. Then he went on to this governor, Felix. Felix couldn't find anything wrong with him either. Unfortunately, left Paul in jail for a couple of years. Forgot about him. Felix goes away. There's a new governor. His name is Festus. Follow along. We're going to get to the point here. Festus is the governor. Festus is like, I can't find anything wrong with this guy. And so Paul appeals to Caesar because Festus was going to send him to a a situation that was going to endanger Paul's life. There was going to be an ambush. And Paul's like, look, I appeal to Caesar. Paul's a citizen. He's allowed to appeal to Caesar. But here's the point. Festus is the governor. He's going to send Paul to Caesar, to Rome, but he doesn't have any charges because Paul really didn't do anything wrong that they could prove. Now, here's the introduction of King Agrippa. King Agrippa is coming to town, and Festus says, 
King Agrippa, would you help me out? I got a high-profile prisoner here. Can't find anything definitely wrong with him, but he appealed to Caesar. Can I get your help so we can write the charges on this guy? So King Agrippa is a big guy, you know, I mean, he's very popular and he's very highly looked upon in the Roman Empire. So as he shows up, there's this big audience, all the leaders in the town, everybody comes, King Agrippa comes in, you got this setting. And here's the thing about Paul, he's in this trial, he's going to Rome, but this is the last recorded snapshot of Paul on trial. We don't hear of anything ever after this. This is the last one. And I think it's important to look at how Paul communicates the offer of God. Because if we look at the way he did it, we too can communicate the offer of God and and God will use us in that way. So he's about to communicate this as they figure out what the charges are here. And so if you have your Bible, it's Acts 25. We're going to pick it up in verse 23. And uh, it starts out like this. Again, they're showing up. Everyone's meeting together. You have the governor, the king, all the leaders of the city, all gathered in one place at one time for one reason, figure out what the charges are against Paul. And Paul uses this opportunity. So let's look at this, communicating the offer of God. Acts 25, starting in verse 23, it says, The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man? The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not live any longer. I have found he did nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, which is Caesar, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I might have something to write. For I think it's unreasonable to send a prisoner without specifying the charges against him. So again, the setup, big, large audience. You got the governor, you got the visiting King Agrippa showing up. And it's a huge celebration because he's a king. And all of this is focusing on Paul and what is his charges to verify that. It moves on in verse 1 of chapter 26. And then King Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand. And began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jews all know the way I lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I'm on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. O king, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? So here he is in front of all these people and he just kind of lays this down and he's focused, even though all these people are around, governor, all the leaders of the city, he's looking right at Agrippa and he's addressing Agrippa directly. I think this is pretty interesting and I also think it's pretty revealing. Here's the thing about King Agrippa. 
His real name, full name, is King Herod Agrippa II. Herod, you've heard of Herod before. There have been a few Herods in the Bible. All of them were really bad. All of them were related to him. And his great-grandfather is the one responsible for trying to kill the baby Jesus. And although Jesus escaped to Egypt with his parents, his great-grandfather killed all the babies in Bethlehem at the time. This is his family. This is his lineage. His uncle, Herod Antipas, is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. Jesus said he was the most righteous man that ever lived. And yet, his uncle beheaded John the Baptist. His father, Herod Agrippa I, put the Apostle James, we know from church history, put the Apostle James to death in Jerusalem. This guy has got a pretty bad bloodline at this point. This guy was immersed in a heritage of evil. Now here's the thing about people that are from such a crazy, sick, demented world like this. And you can't argue that Agrippa, this Herod, has got such a family line of the devil having a heyday in their family. Most people would see no hope in a guy like this. Most people would say this is the least likely guy to ever get into the kingdom of God. Most people would say guys like this deserve what they have coming to them when they've live this kind of life. But here's something that Paul knows. Paul knows that God has hope for all people. God has hope for all the people all the time. That's an absolute. God's not partial. God's got this profound thing. You and I can't do this. God can separate the sin from the sinner. He can go like, I hate the sin, but I love you. We can't do that. We mix it all in together and we look at one big cloudy circumstance and we have a hard time reconciling with that. But God can see right through that. You look at Jesus' ministry, drunkards, tax collectors, prostitutes. There was even Pharisees, religious leaders coming to faith. There was all kinds of people in society. But when you look at the ones who were the least likely, he saw through all of it. He had no issue because he could separate the sin from the sinner. He hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. And there's something that Paul knows right here. Paul knows. He's looking at this guy, Agrippa. He's like, sir, you came from a seriously messed up bloodline. You people have done some evil things. You guys tried to kill in my Messiah ever since he was born. The first prophet Israel's had in 400 years, John the Baptist, your uncle killed him. You guys are, but you know what? God's got hope for you, sir. God's got a big hope. And he's looking right at Agrippa with all these people and he's communicating this. I think this is profound. And he actually goes after the soul of this man. I don't know if you've ever gone after somebody, but we ought to go after people in a good way, in love. If you care about them, if you love them, if you care about them and their soul, to go after them. In this whole room, he's going after Agrippa in the front of every, in love. It's not a bad thing. He's not overly zealous. It's not some weird religious thing. He's like, I love you and God loves you and sir, I'm speaking right to you and hopefully I'm speaking right to your heart. Because even though you're from a messed up lineage, even though there's all kinds of evil in your bloodline, God loves you. And that's the way he does it. And the first thing, if you're a note taker this morning, our first point is, is that remember, if you want to know about communicating, communicating God's plan to people, if you want to know how this works, the first thing is remember that no one is beyond God's reach. No one. We think certain people are. I mean, certain people have to be after they've chosen what they've chosen, as long as they've chosen it, not according to God. You got a guy like Herod Agrippa, he's got a messed up lineage. 
There's hope for this guy in the kingdom of God. That's good to know. That's really good to know. Um, you know, I used to do a lot of prison ministry, a lot of different facilities, county jail, Chino, penitentiary, a lot of different placement homes with youth, and I love going in and just talking shop, so to speak, uh, about the kingdom of God with people with all kinds of backgrounds. I love that. And um, we were out at one facility out in um, Temecula, CIW, California Institute for Women. We'd go in and do some worship, you know, we'd do a chapel service, we'd preach, and, you know, and people would respond to the offer of God. Because I've been trying to communicate the offer of God, I hope you guys are too, to people who really need to hear the offer of God. And so we went in there and the service went pretty well. And what they'll allow sometimes is some of the inmates, if they're on good behavior, they'll let them help with some of the chapel things like setting it up or helping you walk out with all the stuff. So after it was over, I'm walking out with the chaplain and a couple of other people and, and one of the gals who was helping out, she was an inmate, helping carry things. She was going on and on to the, to the chaplain that I was with saying, oh yeah, I've been trying to communicate the offer of God to my roommate for five years. I've been trying to reach my cellmate in prison, the offer of God. And finally, finally, after praying for her and just sharing with her and telling her what the word of God, finally, she just accepted the Lord last week. I'm listening to this inmate. I'm like, that's pretty cool that here she is locked up and she loves God so much. She's spending her time trying to communicate the offer of God. I thought that was really cool. So when we got out, as we're driving home, I told the chaplain, I'm like, that was pretty cool that that girl was, had so much love for God. She spent her time communicating God's offer. She's really on fire. The chaplain goes, do you know who that was? I'm like, no, I don't know who it is. She goes, that's um, Susan Atkins. I'm like, Susan Atkins, why do I know that name? That's one of the Manson people. The Manson murders, Charlie Manson, Susan Atkins. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. That girl that was on fire, leading her friend to the Lord, walking us out, help. That girl? Yes, that girl. And the moral of the story is, remember that no one is beyond God's reach. Nobody is. And in fact, whoever's forgiven much loves much. There's a beautiful other side of the equation. The worse off people were, the more on fire they are because they they understand grace. They appreciate grace. Some people are like, well, I've always been good my whole life. And they don't appreciate grace because they think they never really messed up too bad. But when you have, you're like, oh, God, your grace is amazing. I get it. I appreciate it. And so whoever is forgiven much loves much. But Paul goes on. He keeps addressing Agrippa in this situation right here. And he says, Agrippa, you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. That's an interesting way to put that. All the customs and controversies. He's saying, you know about the Torah and you also know about these controversies surrounding Messiah. Your family, Agrippa, has been very involved in these things about Messiah. You know all about it. And in fact, I would not doubt that as the church is growing right now in Israel at this time, and there's believers doing things, and there's miracles going on, and there's stories of people coming to faith, that Agrippa is on notice, that the mighty God is moving among his people, and he can't deny it. And Paul is looking at him and says, sir, you know all about this stuff. Don't act like you don't know, Agrippa. You know all about the customs and the controversies. And he pops this question right here. He goes, what this situation is about, the reason I'm on trial is really the issue of, is there life after death? And at that point in time, a lot of the guys in the audience are probably going, 
I think so. Do you? I don't know. Do you? And all of a sudden, these guys are gone. I don't know. Is there life after death? I, I think there is. And all of a sudden, everyone's surrounding this topic of life after death and why Paul's on trial. And if there is life after death, who gets it and how they get it matter a lot. And that's really what Paul's doing on trial. He's telling people about life after death. This is the reason he's on trial, on who gets it and how. He doesn't deserve to be arrested for this, but that's what the controversy is. Who gets it? Who does God raise up? Why does he raise him up? What's it based on? And it matters a lot to Paul. It should matter to us. And he's talking to this large crowd, and he goes on in verse 9. He says this. He goes, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. And on the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. And in my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Paul is pretty amazing. He used to be called Saul. And he was a Jewish Pharisee. And he had such a problem with these earlier followers of Jesus Messiah. So he, in his zeal, went to hunt these people down. He went to the leaders and said, give me the papers and I personally will drag them out. Tells you about the kind of zeal this guy had. So he actually went dragging people out, locking them up, putting them in prison, men, women, everybody. That's his own testimony, his own story. And basically he's saying to a guy like Agrippa, hey Agrippa, Your family history is not so great either. I'm just like you. You know how your people started persecuting Messiah and everybody around them? I did too. Agrippa, we're in the same boat. I'm just like you. Isn't that interesting that he's finding something to be relatable about? Right smack in the middle of a story. Relatability is really important. I would suggest if you're communicating the offer of God, relatability is really an important one. He said, I did this, I did that, just like you did, just like your uncle, just like your father. Hey, we're all in the same, just like all these people that are trying to have me killed here, the, the prosecution against me. I was like these guys. I get it. It's really important to find common ground. That's the second point this morning. If you want to know how to communicate the offer of God to people, find common ground. It's important to find, there's plenty of common ground to find with people, but common ground matters a lot. You've got to find common ground. Paul later on made this profound statement because he understood common ground really well. He said, I become all things to all men so that by all possible means some might be saved. So when he's talking to rabbis, he gets into full rabbi mode. When he's talking to Greeks, he gets into full philosophy mode. Come, let us reason together. Let's be reasonable. He can present it like a lawyer to these kind of people. He can present the love of God for the people that are trying to relate to God on that level. No matter who they are, he would break it down and find common ground. Really important for all of us to do that. And this moves on in verse 12, and it says this. This is his own story now. He goes, and on one of these journeys, talking about when he was persecuting people, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. And about noon, O king... As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, 
whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet, and I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so they may receive, listen to this, forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by me in faith. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. That is why the Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But I have had God's help to this very day. So I stand here and I testify to small and great alike. And I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Christ would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. I love how he presents this. There's a lot going on here, but here's kind of what his wake-up call was. Jesus said to Paul, who was going in the wrong direction in life, this is what Jesus said. He said, is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Now, if I were to ask you guys, do you know what a goad is? Most of us are like, I don't know what a goad is. I've never seen a goad. <laughs> What's a goad? What, what does it mean? Is it hard to kick against the goads? Well, back then it was a common term, and it was kind of the, the prodding thing you would use to move the cattle along down the road. There's a path they need to go. They can fall in a ditch or something. You've got to keep them going the right way. And basically what he's saying to Paul is, Paul, are you hurting yourself enough yet? Are you tired of kicking against something like that? People, we do this in life. We can go against God and go against his way. We can go against the river of life, the, the, the stream, the, the flow of the things that God wants to do in life. And we could try to fight it and we could try to swim upstream or we can, we do it. I did it for half my life. I get it. We can do this in our life. You can go against God. And he's like, Paul, are you tired? Is it good for you to be kicking against this? Are you okay with that? Don't you get tired of going against God? Don't you get tired of swimming against the current? Don't you get tired of hurting yourself? And this is what people do when they're rejecting this offer of God. And uh, Paul is probably at this point going, yeah, this is miserable. I think I'm trying to do something in zeal, but it's miserable. And that's the exact point. So Paul tells him in the middle of this, God said this to me, and wham, this was my wake-up call. At some point in the journey, God woke me up. At some point in the journey of life, God got my attention loud and clear. And many of us share the same story, that in life, at some point, God got your attention. At some point along the way, he made something real to you that you go, okay, God, I am not kicking against you any longer. I get it loud and clear. I understand that you're on the throne and I'm not. You're the God. You're the center of the universe. I'm not. I used to think I was, but now I know you are. There's a point where there's a wake-up call and there's a transition, and it's a powerful one, and it's really where life begins, and Paul knows this. So that's why he's in front of Agrippa and all these people, and he's telling his story. He's like, I was going this way. God woke me up, and I'm in front of you today because I'm going that way, and it's profound. It's called testimony. It's called your story. We all have a story, and what I would suggest to you about the story, and it's our third point this morning, is get good at telling your story. What is your story? Everyone's got one. Get good at telling your story. Everyone's got a story. 
I was going this way. God did these things, and now he's got me on another path. No, I'm not perfect, but I'm also not who I used to be because the living God got a hold of my life, and he started doing things in my life. And there's something powerful and profound about your story. No one can argue your story. It's the story between you and God. People might try to argue your theology or belief system. That's fine. You should be open to that discussion. No one can argue your story. That's the power of testimony. So get good at telling your story because some people have never told their story. And by the way, when life wraps up as we know it and we're in eternity in the presence of God, you know what the, you know what the big saying on the wall of heaven is going to be? There's going to be a big, huge poster. And it's going to say how we overcame the devil. And you know what it says? It's going to say, because it says in Revelation is what it's going to say. We overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Two things. What Jesus did on the cross and your story. That's how you overcome the devil. That's what the Bible says. You got a story. I got a story. The devil doesn't want you telling your story. You know what? Make them mad. Start telling it. Tell your story. There's power in your story. Don't discount your story. And right now, we're living in times, people need to hear your story. People need to hear your story. Get good at telling your story. And I would also suggest on that topic, come up with the bus stop version of your story, okay? The three-minute version. You waiting for the bus? You got three minutes. Come up with the bus stop version, because some people will go on a four-hour. No one's got time for the four-hour story and the details. Come up with the three-minute part of your story, where you're from, what you've been through, where you were, and how God somehow woke you up. Now, for some of you, you may have been raised in the faith, and which is a blessing. Maybe your wake-up story wasn't as profound, but no matter what happened, if you were raised in the faith, you too, there was a point where it couldn't be your parents' faith anymore. It had to become your own. You had to own it. Parents try to help and to steer and direct. But we all have our free will. There's a point where you say, okay, I am choosing from this day to turn and follow you. I'm choosing it. And so your story might be what God spared you from. You saw other people go through this, but God spared you from it because of his grace. That's great. Some of your stories include, can I tell you how God has blessed me? And no matter what, you can't leave out the next part of the story. And Paul says it, what God specifically did for you. He talks in this story about the cross. And here's the thing about the cross. We overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. He already talked about his testimony. They're listening to him going, wow, that's a pretty awesome story how God woke you up. Wish he could do that for me. Appreciate your story, Paul. He doesn't leave it there. He's like, let me just tell you about the price that was paid. Let me tell you about the other part. It's called, we say gospel. In the Greek, it means good news. Back then in the first century, they were just going all over, going, hey, have you heard the good news? No, what good news? Here's the good news. We all mess up, right? Yeah. Okay. It's called sin and we all have it. It's like a cancer. We all live with it and die with it. But here's the cool thing. God will take it all away from you. Really? <laughs> That's good news. What, what do I got to do? Nothing. Believe, turn, and follow him. You, don't have to, you can't earn it. You can't buy it. We don't deserve it. That's why it's called grace. It's a free gift. You want it? Are you serious? That's good news. Yes, it's really good news. And that's why people all over are going, hey, did you hear the good news? I heard the good news. Did you? What is it? It's called the gospel. It's good news. And it is good news. He's telling them how and why. In verse 18, he says, so that we might receive forgiveness. That's the good news. And he says, how? Through faith in Jesus. That's how. The Bible says it's through faith, not by works, so no one can boast. We can't earn our way. We can't buy our way. It's a free gift of grace. But if you've received this gift, then we respond 
with good deeds. In that order. Good deeds are a response. We don't earn our way. Some people think if I do enough good things or if my good outweighs the bad, it doesn't work that way. It's a free gift. Ephesians tell us that we're saved by grace through faith and faith alone, not by works so no one can boast. It's really important to know. And he's like, here's the deal. Here's my story. Here's what Jesus did. And he explains it. Step number four is exactly that. Explain the good news. Explain the good news. If you can't explain the good news, maybe work on that. It's very simple in the Bible. The good news is, here's the short version of it. The Bible says everyone on the planet has sinned, right? I don't think many would argue that. We're not pointing to people and call them sinners because we're sinners too, okay? We all do. Let's come to a common universal fact on planet Earth of everyone with a pulse. And this is a uniform spiritual statement you can make. We all mess up. Shortcomings, mistakes, you call it what you want. Personality flaws, that's a nice one. Personality flaws, like, yeah, I, I get mad and I punch people, but it's a person. No, it's not a person. It's sin. It's called sin. It's just sin, all right? Let's don't get mad at the word. It's just called sin. We all do it, all right? Let's get over that. And now that we all do it, what do you do with it? Do you die in yours? Because we all carry it with us, or does someone take it away? There's the million dollar question. Because that's a question that a lot of people don't ask. And your entire future hinges on, what am I going to do with mine? You've got to do your own stuff with yours, but what am I going to do with mine? And Buddha, Gandhi, Krishna, these guys didn't offer a way to take it all away from you. None of them did. Jesus, the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world. That's his mission, was to take it all away. And so can you explain the good news that Jesus paid a price that you couldn't pay, and he'll take them all away? That's the good news right there. It sounds like good news to me. And learn on how to explain if you want to communicate the offer of God. It moves on in verse 24 and it says, At this point, Festus, this is the governor now, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. (laughs) I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, you do believe the prophets. I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? This is wild. The governor's on the side. He's got to come up with the charges. King Agrippa is the main event. Paul's talking to him. As Festus is listening to this, he kind of jumps in the middle of it and goes, hey, Paul, you're getting crazy here. This is insane. And he looks right at King Agrippa, with all due respect to Festus. He goes, no, it's not insane, King Agrippa. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You believe, don't you, King Agrippa? This stuff that's happened all around you with Christians and what's going on and people being prayed for and some people being healed and other people changed, you've seen it all. You're the king. It's happening all around you. You know about it. It wasn't happening in some corner somewhere. The church is just blowing up and exploding at this point. King Agrippa knows, and I love how Paul says to him, you already know about the results around you. Do you believe? I know you do. This is amazing that Paul is finally put in a position where now he's before kings, and he's challenging them with this. And I would suggest this to you. If you are going to communicate the offer of God, then me and you, we need to do step number five. And that's pop the question. Pop the question. No one can get offended with that question. If someone came up to you and said, do you believe in Buddha? Well, I believe historically he came. I don't think he's a spiritual answer. Well, why? Well, because you shouldn't be offended 
somebody said that. You should be able to give a reason for what you believe. That's not offensive. That's just reasonable. He presented this whole thing. Do you believe? I know you do. I've seen. I've heard. I've watched all these other things. Do you believe? The important thing about this is if you make a presentation and you don't pop a question, then there's no action point. And there's so much that hinges on this action point when you communicate the message of God. Number five, pop the question. Ask for a response. It's okay to say, do you? And let somebody say, yes, I do, or no, I don't, or I'm not sure. It's okay to work through that. It's okay to stir that up. It's okay for people, because some people will say, you know, yes, I do, or no, I don't, or I'm not really sure, or I don't want to deal with this. And then they have to go home thinking, why won't I deal with this? You see how that works? They have to go home working through some of this stuff. That's a good thing. That's a healthy thing. That stirs people up. And Agrippa says, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? I like the King James version of this passage. You know what it says? And it's probably a little more accurate on this particular verse too, the way it's pronounced, the way he put his wording. He he says, you know what, Paul? You almost persuade me to be a Christian right here and right now on the spot. You're almost persuading me right now. Isn't that an interesting response? All these people, you got the governor, you got this, you got all the leaders of the town. Paul's talking to King Agrippa and he's like, hey, you know what, you're almost persuading me right now. You're almost persuading me. Um, many of you guys know the statement that almost doesn't count except in horseshoes and hand grenades, right? Almost doesn't count except in horseshoes and hand Almost, almost, almost got forgiven. I almost got free. I almost got delivered. I almost got healed. I almost got eternity. And he's sitting there going, almost, almost persuaded me. Almost is a sad state of affairs. And it's almost like that show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Is that your final answer? He's like, well, I think, uh, you know, uh, maybe, uh, is that your final answer, sir? And Agrippa's going, "Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know, almost. Final answer? I don't know if that's his final answer. But there's the question presented. Almost doesn't cut it. You know, I've got to tell you, the problem that I've noticed that some folks have, and all of us do in a way, when it comes to encountering the offer of God and responding to it, here it is, guys. It's not really in the head. It's not the mental argument. In fact, I've seen people come up with brilliant mental defense trying to block, dissuade, and diffuse. And that's really what they use intellect for a lot of people. It's not really to get to the bottom. A lot of people, it's to argue away. You know what it is? It's not our head that's the problem. It's our hearts that are the problem. Because if what you're saying is true, it's not really the mental argument. It's how do I respond to that? And I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I'm ready to. And Agrippa is in front of all these people that look up to him. And he's got, there's issues of pride and peer pressure and everything. And he's like, oh, I don't know. I'm almost there. I'm, I'm not ready to do this right now. The problem's not the head, it's the heart. The problem's not the issue of truth. The problem's the issue of repentance. The problem is, if it's true, I gotta turn. So I better argue away that it's not true. I better, I better, and I've talked to people, well, I'm an atheist, and by the time you get talking to them, it's like, okay, well, I'm not an atheist, I'm agnostic. You know, when you get to the bottom of it, you know, because they, they don't have proof of there's no God. Okay, so maybe there is. Okay, so you've gotten further. And you go further and further and you start taking arguments away. And pretty soon it's like, well, if God proved to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's real, would you turn and follow him right now? And many would say, well, no. Bingo. There's the answer. It's not a matter of truth. 
It's a matter of repentance. It's not a matter of the head. It's a matter of the heart. At the end of the day, would you turn and follow him anyway? Jesus says, turn and follow me. Turn. There's, a, there's this part of turning and following him. And I got to tell you, some believe the lie, because I did for many years. I remember years ago, I was in a band in San Diego, and there was some, some Christians that were talking about turning and following and believing, you know, the authority of the Bible and what God has in this plan. And I'm thinking, you know, wait a minute. I, I don't know if I have to do that. And they go, no, 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 that's the whole point. You can't just believe. You've got you to turn and follow. And I'm like, I, I don't know. And I was afraid that if I did, God was going like, to turn me into a preacher or something. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I, I was afraid that God was going to turn me into something that I didn't want to be or didn't want anything to do with, to be honest with you. I thought, what is God going to do with you? I mean, what is God going to do with you if you give him your life? That was a fear. And I was not going there until God continued to send me some wake-up calls along the way and kept saying, are you going to kick against the goats? Do you want to fight? Are you hurting yourself? And finally, you hold up that white flag. In fact, that's what we do in worship. I know everybody's got a different posture of worship based on background or comfortable and stuff. But really, at a game, we go, yeah! You know, if the police said, hands up, you'd go, well, I'm not fighting you, I surrender. I'm not kicking against the goats. I'm not fighting. That's kind of what we do in worship where we go like, God, I surrender to you. You're God, I'm not. That's kind of the posture right there. But for me, I thought, if I do this, what are you going to do with me? I don't, I don't know if I can trust you with that. I, I, I want you to bless me in the things I do. I don't know if I actually want to turn and follow you. So I didn't for years, and it was the biggest mistake of my life, the issue of waiting and procrastinating. This is how Paul responds to this question. Paul replied, short time or long, I pray that not only you, but all of you who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with him. They left the room, and while talking with one another, they said, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Once your appeal's in place, you can't unwind it. Paul says, look, I don't care how long it takes, guys. I'm praying not only for you, Agrippa, and you, Festus. I'm praying for every single one of you because Paul knows that there is so much life in communicating the message of God. There's so much life. The tragedy in life is not that it ends too soon, but that too many people wait way too long to get in on it. Too many people just exist and exist and exist, and they don't live. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life, and life to the fullest. And many people that get that would agree, once I was blind, I was existing and I was blind, but now I see. There's something about God when we surrender to him, when we turn and follow, that he gives perspective, that he gives life, and that people don't just exist, that they start living and they start understanding purpose and direction and promise and power and the things that matter. And usually what happens is they too want to communicate the promise of God after that happens. And so I don't know where you're at today on that, but we're going to close in prayer in a minute. Um, I would suggest to you this in closing, that I don't know what God is revealing to you. Um, I don't know what God has next for you in life. But if you have any idea of what it is, don't procrastinate. Don't be like King Agrippa and go, yeah, but uh, not really sure. God might be asking you, is that your final answer? 
if God is revealing something to you as a next step, go, yeah, I, I hear you, God, yes. Yes, I will follow through on that. Don't procrastinate in the will of God. Don't wait. And the story goes on that Paul, it's the last prison scene we see him in, he eventually gets to Rome. He eventually gets to go before Caesar. He gets to present this case just like he did in front of all these people. And you know what they say? There's nothing wrong, Paul. There's nothing illegal in what you're doing. You're allowed to tell people about the resurrection. It's legal. And Paul is released and he's able to minister after that. But God used him, even though he was in jail, every step of the way for his glory. And we find out later that even part of Caesar's household, people in Caesar's house are becoming believers because a guy like Paul, radical stuff. So let's close in prayer right now. And uh, just ask God to seal some of these things in our heart. Almighty God, we love you. And we thank you for your word. And we thank you for how powerful it is. And Lord, there's a, there's a message, Lord, that you have for your people, Lord God. There is a, a direction. There's a hope. There's a future. Lord, and I just pray that we would be people that can communicate your will, that can communicate your offer. You have a wide open offer. Lord, we have friends, family. We got neighbors. We got all kinds of people who... They either don't know about your offer, maybe some of them have rejected it without even really understanding it. And then there's other people that are actually open. They're willing to hear more. They're willing to entertain the promises of God. I just pray you would, you would help us communicate the offer of God, that we would do it relatably, Lord. We would know that no one is beyond your love, that we would do it, Lord God, in a way that, that we would understand that Our story, our testimony is a big part of people understanding your power. And what you did on the cross, the good news is right central to how it all is is made available. And, And I just pray, Lord God, that you would use us to communicate your offer. I pray if there's any here today that maybe have an a respect for you and they know about you, but never have it a single day in their life that they could point back to and say, No, that was the day. I turned and followed. Not just had a little honor, a little respect, a little uh, perspective on God, but literally, no, that's the day I got off the throne of my life and I put him on because that's the only thing that makes you Lord. You can't be the Lord if we're on the throne. You can only be the Lord if you're on the throne. So Lord, I just pray for any in the room that maybe haven't had a day in history looking back where you actually, where we demoted ourselves and promoted you If today's the day, Lord, I just pray they'd say in the privacy of their own heart, Lord Jesus, I get off the throne, I put you on it. I want to make you, Lord. I know you're the savior of the world. You died for the sins of the world. I know you died for mine. Take mine away. I want to turn. I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. I want to grow in the things of God. And I just thank you for that response in faith to your grace, Lord, because that's where it all begins. And I pray for others in this room that, Lord, your grace is so amazing. I think our biggest regret in heaven is... Why didn't I tell somebody? Why didn't I tell more people? Uh, why didn't I do what I could to populate heaven? And why didn't I do what I could to help people have abundant life right here and now on earth? Because too many people around us, God, are just existing when you're calling them to live. So help us give life. Help us to communicate the offer of God. We love you, mighty God. Have your way with us in our life, Lord. We want to see you do great things in our life, great things in our city. And so we just call on you, Lord God. We pray for revival in our city, Lord. Not that we would be living in normal times, that we would be living in special times where we would literally see visitations of God, where you'd begin to change lives, answer prayer, 
do radical things for your namesake and glory. We love you, and we thank you in advance for these things. And in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.